0: Uh, We're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 11. Uh, It's good to be here with you and to share God's word together. So from Acts chapter 11, we're going to read from verse 19 about the church in Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine that would spread through the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples... Each, according to their ability, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts with the elders by um, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Uh, So, up at uh, Hope in the Hills, we've been uh, going through the Book of Acts uh, this year, and uh, the theme that we've Sort of, Given the, the um, book of Acts, as we're walking through, is uh, Be My Witnesses, where Jesus, uh, at the beginning of the book, uh, encourages his disciples to go out and to be his witnesses uh, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, so we're here in this chapter, in uh, chapter 11, looking at Church of Antioch, and I want to begin by asking the question, Did you do you have a nickname, or did you have a nickname when you were at school? Um, when I started to think about that question, I thought, oh yeah, actually, I've got a few nicknames in different contexts, sometimes in sporting contexts or sometimes with different groups of friends. Uh, Floppy Monks Junior was one that I had when I was something about the way I jumped on a trampoline, and then I had Goony One because apparently I was a bit Goony, and it was a, a, a play off my Indonesian name in school, Deeks DeKalinko, uh, something about my lack of sporting prowess, I think. Um, Sometimes these sort of nicknames that you might have hurt a bit, they sting a bit, and they sort of, oh, I don't really uh, want to hear that. But often uh, nicknames sometimes sort of, or, or they stick with us, sometimes they become a bit of a, a badge of pride. Uh, most Year 12 uh, jumpers, if you've seen them, we've got, usually have got a nickname, that, uh, a badge of honour that uh, people wear with pride. So uh, it was the same a little bit with the church in Antioch. If we go to the next slide, um, it's here in Antioch that uh, followers of Jesus get called Christians for the first time. And just to let you know that uh, this term Christians was not a positive word. It was actually a term of uh, derision. Uh, it's like, oh, you're one of those Christ people, one of those Christ followers what sort of loser are you, is sort of behind the idea of the term Christian. um, It's the nickname that they got. Uh, And particularly um, the Gentiles um, um, that had converted to Christianity probably would have been a target of that sort of uh, comment. Uh, They become sort of the laughing stock, I suppose, uh, and as we would know through history, they become um, the target of persecution. Uh, There's this uh, famous bit of graffiti that they found in uh, Rome and uh, it says uh, Alexmos worships his God and uh, they have a picture of Jesus or a man-type figure on a cross with a donkey head, uh, basically sort of making fun of who would worship someone that was crucified on a cross. So in Roman culture, being crucified was a sign of humiliation and and, um, total shame. What sort of losers would follow someone like this? Um, The term Christian is only used three times in the Bible, it's here. Um, And then later on in Acts, in Acts 26, as Paul's talking to King Agrippa uh, and he says to Paul, uh, as Paul's trying to tell him the story about how he became a Christian, he says, "Do you think you can make me become a Christian as well?" And it's sort of like he sort of spits on the ground. Why would I ever think about doing that type of idea? And then uh, the other time it gets used is in one Peter four, when uh, uh, Peter says this. Uh, he says, "If you should suffer, it should be um, for one as being labelled as a Christian. Uh, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed." For the spirit and the glory of God rests on you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And that's the nickname that they got in Antioch and you get the sense that they actually wore it with pride Uh, because it it sticks and it stuck uh, through uh, the generations. Those Christ ones. These people in the city of Antioch would come to be known um, as those Christians, followers of Jesus. And so the question that we have, are we known by that name? Are we known in our circles as being followers of Christ? Uh, What would uh, the people of Pakenham say about PC3 people? I uh, sort of jumped on your website a bit today and it says, uh, oh, sorry, during the week, captivating uh, by Christ, cultivated in Christ, communicating Christ. That's sort of your sort of vision or mission statement. Is that what your neighbours say about you? Is that what your work colleagues are saying about you? That you, yeah, this person is captivated by Christ. They, they communicate about him, they talk about him. I think, uh, as we read through passages, this is where the gospel confronts us. How are we known, uh, in our, our circles? Um, and then, uh, if we go to the next slide, I wonder whether you've ever been mocked for being a Christian, laughed at or, um, or even worse, bullied for being a Christian. Back at One Hope Church when, uh, we were back, um, back. Oh, it's probably now about 15 years ago or something, maybe it's more, 20 years ago, um, we uh, made a connection with an Indigenous community in South Australia, in Yalata, and we would run short-term trips out there a couple of times a week, uh, a week, a year. <laughs> um, and one trip we were out there and uh, we were in Ceduna, um and about to head off to Yalata and there was a group of uh, people, they were celebrating a wedding, I think, um, they been drinking a bit, and they sort of started chatting to us. And they said, Oh, what are you guys doing here in Seduna? And we said, Oh, we're actually from a church, we're going off to Yalata. And they started laughing at us. And, and um, some of the guys would say, Hey, hey, this is a group, of a church group, and they're going out to Yalata. And they started going to us, uh, Yalata, the indigenous community out there, and they'll say, what, Why would you do that? You. you They're losers, why would you do that? And so there's this inherent racism that was just so out there uh, and then they just basically paid out on us while we were there. It wasn't uh, a great experience, but something we reflected on and and learnt about. Um, But there was another nickname that we got when we spent time in Yalata. Uh, We became known as that Christian mob. So people in Yalata. Uh, would refer to it as are oh, you part of that Christian mob? Uh, you, were, you were up here last year or um, and, and as I was thinking about that, um, I was thinking about why did they call us that? Why do they call us that Christian mob? One, we, we came in and we, we interacted with the church there and we did some some holiday programs through the church there. But I remember talking to um, one of the elders that worked in the, in the council, in the community. Um, and he said, you guys got a name here because you keep coming back. He said, no one else comes back here. They might come for a visit once every now and then, and, but they, they're, they're out of here. He said, you know, politicians, they come up here. Uh, they might have a meeting with, with us as a council. They'll stay in a hotel 200 kilometres away, and they'll drive in for a two-hour meter and drive out. And, but you, you guys come and you stay with us, and you, you get to know us and to, to love us. Um and we began to wear that name with a badge of pride, that Christian mob that came back, that displayed something of the love of God by just uh, being with, hanging out, engaging uh, with the people of Yalata. So if we go to the next slide. We need to ask the question, why here in Antioch, of all places, do the Christians get, or do the followers of Jesus get called Christian? Why in this city? This city, um, in the book, the rest of the book of Acts now becomes a bit of a focus. It moves a little bit from Jerusalem up, uh, to Antioch. Uh, Antioch is, um, much bigger than Jerusalem at this time. They reckon there's probably maybe 70, 80,000 people living in Jerusalem. In Antioch at this time, there's probably 200 to 250,000 people. One of the, um, third biggest cities in the Roman Empire at the time. It was um, a wealthy, rich uh, city. Uh, like any cities, it had a mix of rich and poor, and it had uh, good stuff that was happening in a lot of bad stuff that was happening in it as well. But it became sort of known as a bit of a multicultural city. It'd be a place where people could come, uh, lots of groups from different uh, places around the world. Uh, that had a reputation that you could pretty well hang out in this city and as long as you didn't sort of talk negatively about Caesar uh, and you didn't cause too much trouble, you could pretty well do what you want and live here in this city. Um, there's a little mosaic, this mosaic up here that they found on a uh, a dining room uh, hall, uh wall in a in a rich um it was only discovered in 2016 and uh the writing that it had on it was uh be cheerful enjoy life and basically it's uh <laughs> eat and drink before you die make the most of life this was sort of the the flavor of uh this city uh, there was even actually um, a large Jewish population in Antioch. Um, Two, they could live in this city probably a bit more freer of the, uh, persecution than uh, back in Jerusalem. Uh, there were, the city was built uh, on, a, on a river. There was um, built actually an island, a part of the, the river, and that river flowed out onto the Mediterranean Sea. And it became, there was a quote, um, that, they, that was going around about Antioch at the time, and it said that it was a cesspool pool that flowed its filth into the sea. It was a city that was stained with the vices of reckless and shameless sensuality. It was one of the strongholds of Satan. Uh, yet this city becomes the centre of Christianity pretty well from this point on. They reckon that by the end of the third century, there was probably about a hundred thousand Christians in Antioch. Um, by that time, the population of Antioch, they reckon, was about half a million people. And so that was about 20% of the population of this city became Christians over a couple of hundred years. And so we've got to ask why? How? Why would, why would Christians be known in this sort of city? And I think we get some glimpses uh, in the passage that I just read for us. It seems um, that it was, uh, and, and the passages around it, but it seems that it was the first multicultural church. Actually, in Acts 13, if you've got your your Bibles, you can have a look at that. In 13 verse 1, it talks about the leaders of this church. It was Barnabas, and then it was uh, Simeon called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, and then even um, Saul was in there as well. And so you get a reflection of all these different types of nationalities. Um, And the church here is the first multicultural church that we come across. Uh, It becomes a church that then sends people, missionaries, out into the world. And we see that um, in the rest of Acts as the the gospel begins to spread from city to city uh, through the known world. And I think there is a sense that the church often grows in the worst places. If you look through history, uh, it's often in worst places that the church grows. So what did those Christians become known for? We can go to the next slide. They were a church that crossed social and racial barriers. They crossed class barriers. They crossed gender barriers. They crossed education barriers. These things didn't stop them interacting with people who were different to them. If you think, even through the Gospels, you have uneducated fishermen hanging out with um, converted politicians, poor widows hanging out with rich men. These Christians began to get a reputation that all were welcome and all were equal. In their midst. It says there when Barnabas arrived, when he arrived, he saw evidences of the grace of God, much evidence of the grace of God. Somehow they were living out such lives that they were demonstrating sort of gifts and help to those that may not have deserved it. And it was evident in the way they spoke, the way they think, uh, thought, the way they uh, acted. It says uh, there that uh, Cyprians and Cyrenes were speaking to Greeks. Different people from different cultures were starting to speak to uh, uh, others about the Lord Jesus. Recognition that they all needed a saviour king, someone to save, and that we're all in the same boat together. You could remember some of the words that Paul wrote later on when he says, Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. You see, the gospel is a great leveler as we, we together hold Jesus as our Lord. And then think of the example that Jesus gave. When he, uh, when it's recorded that when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Later on, Luke also records that Jesus, uh, he says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There is a demonstration of loving your enemies. Those who are out to persecute him and get rid of him, Jesus went and ate with and interacted with. And so I think the Christians in Antioch are actually following Jesus' lead and living lives like this. And in this city, people are taking note of that. Who are these people who are willing to love all, to break every sort of social and racial divide? There's even some um, recordings about Antioch that um, there was sort of racial segregation in different parts of the city. Uh, And the Christians got the reputation for crossing those and interacting uh, with people of different cultures. Jesus' reputation is that he develops relationships with, hangs out with, eats with the messy people in life, the sinners, the outcasts. And so if we're captured by Christ. Do we live like Jesus? If we go next slide, so news reaches Jerusalem uh, about this, so they send Barnabas, which we, um, we've heard, and uh, he is a son of encouragement. That's what his name is. He's been captured by Jesus. He knows who Jesus is, and he, he lives this out. I love the description they give of him. He is a man full of wisdom, And uh, Sorry, uh, a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I think, what a mix. Wouldn't it be good if we were known as that? Good people that were full of the Spirit and faith. And he actually begins to make waves in the city as well as people see him live that out as he interacts with the people in this city because it says many people start following Jesus. Many people put their lives on the line because to say that Jesus was Lord was one of the things that probably put them in a death sentence instead of saying Caesar was Lord. And if you're caught saying that, it was a very dangerous thing. And yet, this church grows in this context. Barnabas does a remarkable thing. He actually goes uh, to Tarsus and gets Saul, Paul, And he brings him back. I think he recognises there's a better preacher around, someone who's actually better than me at preaching the gospel to Gentiles in particular, and for a whole year they do this. And you get the sense now that the church is using its different gifts and its different talents, and as it sort of gets to the end, it says basically every disciple was using whatever they had in order to show the love of Christ in this city. Helping each other. Demonstrate what it meant to be followers of Jesus, to be one of those Christ ones. And so here in the midst of political, spiritual and cultural filth and pressure, the church grows. We know that uh, crap makes good soil for growth. But the church actually needs to get its hands dirty in doing that. There was something about these people that was attractive as they lived their lives in this city. There was something different about the way they demonstrated love to their neighbours. The way they interacted with their work colleagues or the way they even treated their families. There was something about their leader that they reflected. Even uh, there's that bit where Agabus comes up, he uses his prophetic gift to talk about this famine, and it creates a response in the church. And and, and the, the response is that the Gentile Christians raise money and send off to the Jews, Jewish church in Jerusalem. These are the Gentile Christians that probably would have suffered some of the Jewish uh, persecution or Jewish nickname of Gentile dogs. We don't want anything to do with you. We keep. And now they are gathering their wealth and responding in grace to their Jewish brothers and sisters. So we have to ask. What's our reputation in our city? What's the reputation that you and your family get in your street? What's the nickname or reputation that you have in your workplace? Are you known for getting your hands dirty some ways, crossing social, racial, education barriers in order to demonstrate the love of Christ and be a proclaimer? What do people in your sports club say about you? What nickname are they giving you? Because we realise often Christians don't get... A great rep, or have great nicknames, isn't it? We're usually known as those beep beep something Christians. You think about why 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 are we known as that? Why why would Christians be known as that? I think if you if you you dug into that, you probably see that Christians become hypocrites often. They're known as being judgmental. They're known as bigot, bigots. That's sort of people who bring prejudice against others or they're antagonistic in that manner. These are not the sort of nicknames we want to get. And yes, sometimes we will be labeled by that, labeled names that uh, are not honoring, even though we're living the truth. But we know all too often we can fall into those traps of being judgmental, isolate ourselves look down our noses at others for whatever reason. So as we wrap up, last slide. Um, I don't know if you picked up this yet, but Antioch sounds a bit like Melbourne in 2023. One of the wealthiest slash maybe filthiest cities in the world. There's lots of political and social pressure in our city To stop us following Jesus, not to mention his name, not to be out there for him. We're one of the most multicultural cities in the country. We have such diverse lifestyles and ranges of spirituality uh, in our city. Are we known, are people seeing, demonstrations of God's grace in the way we live? Do people notice our lifestyles? PC3, your 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 claim is <laughs> that we centre ourselves around Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. Do people know that? Are they seeing that? Are they seeing you cross social, racial divides with the love of Jesus, the good news here in Pakenham. Last week I had an engagement with um, a guy that was part of the LGBTQ community. Um, He comes to one of our programs at church and I thought, I wonder if he notices a difference here in the way that we treat him, interact with him. There was um, a new, we live up in the hills in Tacoma, it's not that um, multicultural yet but there's a new family just moved into our street that wear hijabs and I thought I wonder if their welcome is going to be different from our church people than maybe through their school or sporting club or Christians in the Roman Empire later on got a reputation for particularly caring for um, children with disabilities and people with disabilities. So in the Roman Empire, Greek culture that that was seen as um, shameful and often they were killed or put out in the street to die and yet the church got a reputation for bringing uh, people living with disabilities into their communities, not just out of sympathy. But because they were equal and valued, and brought in brought uh, um, contribution to the community, there was friendship, contribution to uh, families' lives in those situations. So, PC three, as we wrestle with this text, what's your nickname here in this town? Hopefully we're getting good nicknames or describing the right actions of who we are. Are we known as good people full of the Holy Spirit and faith? I think that's one of the best encouragements from this, that if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can actually ask him more and more to produce his fruit in us. Because his fruit really shines in this sort of city. Fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That stuff people notice. So let's ask the Spirit to be producing fruit in us. Again, as we think about living like Jesus, maybe re-engage with the Gospels, have a read through how he lived, who he hung out with, the way he communicated with people the way he crossed so many racial, gender, economic, education barriers. So let us go out here from here this week, each according to the abilities and gifts that we've been given to be good people, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, be willing to get our hands dirty, crossing those barriers to see God's name glorified and his church grown in this city. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us from death to life. Lord Jesus, that you came from heaven to earth. You crossed every barrier that there could be You left heaven, you came to this sin-filled earth and you became our friends. You were willing to give your life for us. You demonstrated how to live life in this sin-filled world. You showed us how to show love and grace and mercy a sinful, messed-up world. You showed yourself to us in that way. While we were still sinners, you died for us. And for that, we are so thankful. We thank you for the demonstration of your grace and mercy. And we we pray now that we would be full of your spirit, And that we would go and do the same. That we would live like you and proclaim your good news. In the name of Jesus. Amen.